Hello, and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris. And I'm Brittany. And this week, we're continuing our watch through of The Magicians, looking at season three, episode nine, All That Josh. Yes. Why don't you start us off with a recap? So the episode opens with Katie and Quentin returning to break bills after the library key heist and questioning Alice about why she had been in the library. The next chapter of the tale of the seven keys appears with a section of medieval music and once played on the piano katie quentin and alice are transported to a josh hoberman pocket world where he thinks magic is back but really what's happening is a german demon is feeding off of his energy so the characters discover that they can only do party tricks and the random background dancers turn malevolent when the vibe isn't yay happy. Meanwhile, Julia tries to help teach the fairy Sky how to do magic, but when Sky materializes a flower, the collar around her neck starts killing her. Luckily, Julia freezes her in time and is able to heal her. Back in Fillory, Elliot and Margot are sentenced to death, and Tick Pickwick reveals that he wants them dead so Felorians can finally rule the country. Back in the party world, Josh explains how he's felt left out from their group, and they discover that the only way that they can get out of the party world is through the unity key that links all eight questers together to sing under pressure. This includes Penny, who is stuck in the Underworld Library, Julia as she heals Skye, and Elliot and Margot as they plummet over the endless waterfall, only to find that the Muntjac can actually fly. The episode ends back in the Physical Kid's cottage, where the Tale of the Seven Keys opens to the next chapter. So, let's get into this fun episode. (laughs) Sure. What magic moments do you have? Obviously, it was just a lot of fun with all the musical numbers and... In previous seasons, they've had like a musical song in an episode, mm-hmm. but here they had multiple musical ones. They had dancers. They had obviously the under pressure song, right? Which is... the magicist moment? Yes, exactly. I'm sure you loved that oh, moment. Don't even get me started. <laughs> well, you'll have to get started because that's what the podcast does. That's true, but. Yeah, I mean, just a perfect song for them to choose for the magicians because it's so ridiculous. Yes, absolutely. And the magicians is so ridiculous, as <laughs> evidenced by one of the greatest lines in this episode, Elliot saying, if we'd known it was a wombat judge, we would have gone with a wombat lawyer. Amazing. Completely seriously, because this is the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is Fillory. Just excellent. Also, one of their death options was a serrated spoon, which is <laughs> just so terrible to think about. Mm-hmm. Also, in the party world, all the clocks are set to 420, for Josh. Amazing. <laughs> of course, this is what Josh's party world would look like. Mm-hmm. And all of these famous art pieces have Josh in them. So just, good. Yeah. Just excellent. And the set design, like the <laughs> just every element of it is so clever, so funny, so over the top. Yeah. And just the over the topness of these dancers dancing in a relatively small space yeah and then when they suddenly just all turn in unison towards you how like ominous it is Mm -hmm. so great and then 
another fabulous line is when they're all linked with the keys and Margo's, yeah, we're about to die right now. And they're like, no, we just have to sing this song. And she's like, well, enjoy our death screams, I guess, (laughs) which is just perfect Mm -hmm. because, okay, so we're not going to try to help us not die. I guess you'll get to hear us die. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a Margo way of expressing her annoyance in the circumstance like of course this is what we have to do while we're <laughs> dealing with trying not to die you know mm-hmm. and also margo and elliot chained to the munchak but being so into the singing elliot standing up while being chained it's just so good them both standing singing passionately mm-hmm. to each other like yeah so excellent while they're about to die and chained to a ship. Yeah. Yeah, the juxtaposition between them and Penny, who yeah. does He's not also want to participate. Up. Yeah. So good. <laughs> yeah. So amazing. And then besides those great, hilarious moments, I also just loved that Quentin is constantly not handling any new keys with his bare hand Mm -hmm. and be like, no, don't touch it because of what happened with the depression monster key. And I just love that that little detail is carried through, that it's not just like, ooh, we have a new key. Let's pick it up, you know. Absolutely, yeah. What about you? What are your magic moments? This episode is just so good. I really loved the shot where they transition to the party world. So they're sitting at the piano And then it pans over to this singing and dancing section. And as it pans, the lighting starts Mm -hmm. to change from the darkness of the real world to this vibrant party style lighting. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a great shot to show that transition. It's a show about magic, but it has a limited budget. You know, they can only (laughs) do so much. And that means that sometimes they have to have workarounds. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a really great workaround of utilizing basic composition elements to create a magical effect that's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's go- happening along with the music starting too. So just like this transition, I think, is very, very vibrant in its way. And it kind of also shows that contrast between how they're feeling mm-hmm. and then what's going on in this world. Yeah. Yeah. And using that classic lighting that they did all the way back from the first season the cool tones of not having magic and Mm -hmm. then the warm vibrant tones of the magical world yeah it's it's really great and you mentioning the budget i remember watching a a interview about this episode and Mm. i think it was one of the showrunners who was saying yeah I just bought the licensing for Under Pressure. Well, we have it. We have to figure out how to use it. (laughs) Because he just really wanted to do that. I mean, amazing. (laughs) Yeah, and I'm going to talk a lot about Under Pressure later on in the episode. But Uh. (laughs) definitely just some, like, magic moments of it are just the entirely the direction and cinematography of it. You know, you mentioned some of the performances of it, but also the way that especially the Munchak scenes are shot. You know, there's the, mm-hmm. the one scene, the one moment where Elliot is belting out this chaotic <laughs> note as he's upside down. Yeah. You know, his hair's all wild. like Hanging from his hands and feet mm-hmm. as the Munchak goes over the waterfall. It's so good. <laughs> But all of the cinematography, I think, of that really highlights 
what the characters are going through, but also the connections between the song and mm-hmm. the lyrics and what they're experiencing and what they're feeling, which I think is is great. Because, yeah, sometimes it's just like Elliot's going over a waterfall, but sometimes <laughs> I think there's some deeper stuff that I wanted to get into later. And then just the last thing is Fen's reaction as Julia starts talking to and then singing with everyone, <laughs> where she doesn't say anything, she clearly doesn't have any lines, but the actor is still having amazing reactions in her face where she's like, what is happening? But she also understands magic. She's probably like, something's happening. What is it? Like, it's very good. I remember when we sang that song when going into battle. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) But let's move into our setting in society section. What did you bring? Yeah, speaking of Fen, I think that here we see, again, her really struggling with not dehumanizing the fairies. She's... Not even exactly trying not to, but she does come along when Julie's actually meeting Sky to teach her and actually is able to provide some information about they don't do magic the Mm -hmm. same way. Like, they don't need to access it because they are magic. Fen realizes that and is sort of helping in a way because Mm -hmm. she sees that teaching Sky magic isn't working, you know, in the magician way. But the wider thing that Fen is dealing with is demonizing a whole group of people based off of select interactions with a few that were negative. Yeah. Or perhaps with the ruling government that was negative. With Mm -hmm. the queen and her orders. And so, you know, what passes for the fairy state has done these awful things to her and her kingdom and her family. And so she sees every member of that state as being awful, Mm -hmm. you know. And in some ways you can understand that, but other ways, you know, we're Americans. Would I want to be held accountable for every awful thing America has done? No, because I've disagreed with most of it. But I also live with the Bill's privileges, so, like, things Mm -hmm. get complicated, but I can understand why when someone has been treated that way by the representative of this species, race, nation, etc., that they would have those views of them. Yeah, I mean, it's the interesting thing, because for me, it's quite difficult for me to understand, because I just don't think that way. And probably part of it is growing up in Los Angeles. Part of it is growing up in a mixed race family. (laughs) And this is so commonly done on racial lines Mm -hmm. within a country so oh you had a one bad experience with one person of this racial or ethnic group and now you are scared of all of them or now you you know stereotype all of them or or whatever it is and that can obviously lead to horrific things happening yeah obviously murders and uh state violence, police violence, all of this. But then obviously, yeah, like you were mentioning, it also is done along national lines that still have a racial ethnic component to them, but uh, have this other (laughs) level too that has to do with borders and has to do with culture and how countries are run and what they're doing to other countries and it gets quite complicated. And so, yeah, for me, I've never understood, like I've had some really bad experiences with people from racial groups that I'm not a part of, but that doesn't mean that I think everyone is like that and I'm scared of everyone or whatnot. I think it's a very mm, 
Well, <laughs> it's just an immature way to react to something negative that happened, you know, Yeah. in a way that doesn't want to try to understand anyone from that group, let alone someone who did something that you don't agree with um, mm-hmm. or that hurt you or whatever the situation is. But yeah, instead of treating people as individual people, well, within systems that affect them and impact their choices, not as some monolithic group that everyone is like this, you know? And so I think Fen is dealing with this, which is frustrating to me because it's like, Fen, get that faster. Mm -hmm. But for people who are struggling with this, it's not that easy. So also trying to have compassion for her character that she's reacting out of a place of pain while still holding her accountable for being wrong. Yeah, for sure. Although, that being said, I do very much understand why people would just villainize Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yeah. (laughs) When it's hundreds of years of history, Mm -hmm. when it's constant bombardment, when it's, you know... A entire social, economic, political system set up in ways that are inherently imperialist and <laughs> exploitative and racist and so forth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I get why people would be super angry and hate us, you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. But what about you? What are the setting and starting points you were thinking about? I was really interested in a couple things with Sky. For one, I think the shot of her continuing to work with her wooden leg Mm-hmm. is a really revealing one because it really makes clear ways in which slaves or many other people who are exploited for their labor are seen as tools. Mm-hmm. That their bodies are utilized for their employers, for those who profit off of them with no care for themselves, and that they will be used to the furthest extent possible. Mm-hmm. That regardless of health, regardless of wellness, that they will be utilized in whatever way they can. And that just because Sky lost a leg doesn't mean she is not still expected to continue to serve, continue to work. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I just, I thought that moment was like a good commentary and, and kind of illustration of her role here. Yeah. And I think that the line that Julia says to her about They are grinding up your bone to snort it for magic tricks. Mm -hmm. And I I love that phrasing magic tricks because it's frivolous, because it's not necessary. It's extra. Yeah. And and they're willing to do this to another person just because it benefits them and they want to. Absolutely. Yeah. It can be for magic that doesn't even matter. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, not that it's justified if it is magic that does matter. But yeah, I think that that really does draw strong parallels to modern day slavery and labor exploitation practices because it's like, yeah, this person is enslaved or this person is maimed by the unsafe working 
conditions Mm -hmm. that they have to be in that they're paid so little for. This person's working for 16 hours a day. This person is being sexually abused by their employer and they can't do anything about it because they can't even live off of the money that they're making there. Mm -hmm. This person is crushed to death because the company didn't care about inspecting the building's safety you know these are all things that literally happen for what fast fashion oh i want that shirt i want that extra pair of pants i don't need or yeah let's keep you know let's literally torture animals for months years of their life just so i can enjoy a meal of their carcass for 10 minutes, you know? So it's like, these are things that are just so a part of everyday life in most of the most developed places in the world. That is just everyday violence, just for the frivolous enjoyment of whatever we want. Yeah, absolutely. For magic tricks. I think there's also an element here that, you know, you you mentioned Julia talking to Sky. And that is one thing that I get frustrated with this show about Mm -hmm. because Sky literally says, no, the McAllisters protect us. You know, she is the mouthpiece for the blatant lies that those in power utilize to try to justify their exploitation of people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, certainly as an American, seeing an enslaved race calls back to the enslavement of Africans and indigenous people mm-hmm. based off of their race. And there were certainly quote unquote justifications that were said by the slave owners that they're taking care of their slaves, providing for them, that they're giving them direction and a home and Christianity and all these <laughs> other kinds of things that I can't imagine the enslaved people themselves buying. Mm-hmm. And that's what's frustrating here is that we're not hearing the McAllisters say, we protect you. We're hearing Sky say, they protect us. Mm-hmm. And then Julia has to go and convince this enslaved person that they are being mistreated, yeah. that their situation <laughs> is wrong. You know, this is very much a white savior kind of thing. Obviously, the fairies are even whiter. Um, <laughs> but in the racial allegory of this moment, having a white woman in Julia coming in and having to convince the enslaved people that they are being mistreated and that they need to challenge that just sits wrong. Totally. Let me educate you about your situation. I mean, I think that there is something to, you can have education lie to populations about what happened and people believe those lies and then have to be educated that those were lies but yeah it's still like it doesn't work (laughs) exactly so yeah i think that that entire framing of this story in this episode is a huge huge issue agreed yeah um this show does so many things right Mm -hmm. that when it does something this big wrong it it really makes me sad because I think that there could have been such a better story here. You know, I even love the fact that, like we talked about, Sky's the first fairy that we have na- as a named character. Mm-hmm. And 
talking about Fen, like she's only seen the fairy queen and this kind of nameless state of fairy violence against her and Florians. Now she's getting to know actual fairies, but why do those fairies have to be specifically just victims? Why can those fairies have no agency? Mm-hmm. So often that's how we frame those who are enslaved or exploited or what have you. And that's its own way of dehumanizing them. Mm-hmm. Of making it so that, oh, well, this situation that's happening to them is more powerful than their own personal choices. And certainly their agency is limited by their circumstances, by the power that's being held against them. But agency can never be stripped away. And I think that is something that the show fails to show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with what you're saying. And and we'll get more about fairies. So we'll have more about to, to talk about them and their agency or lack thereof in, in future episodes. Great. And then just the last thing is just Pickwick's rebellion against Margot and Elliot here, mm-hmm. where he says that he's not going to help them. He's asking the Muntjac to help him kill them. He says that he refuses to beg for what I've been waiting to seize when they say that he could have just talked to them, not just hated them from the shadows or what have you. And he says that he is going to build a free fillery of, for, and by Florians, <laughs> which I get those ideals. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something that we've been calling out from this show for three seasons now yeah. that we haven't seen any kind of Florian representation and Pickwick's been kind of the only one. And this, I think, helps to complicate his character retroactively mm-hmm. in some ways that are really interesting, but it also reframes him now as an antagonist simply because he's working against two of the protagonists. Even though, yeah, his ideas of Fillory for Florians is a good one. Him wanting to be the king of it is not exactly democratic. <laughs> no. But arguably, is it more democratic to have a king from your own country than a colonialist <laughs> king? <laughs> you know? <laughs> so yeah, I think that there's there's just some interesting stuff to chew on there that uh, I'm excited to see how the Fillory storyline goes from here. Absolutely. But let's head into our themes and schemes section. What did you bring? I think that a big theme for this episode, well, the key, at least, is the unity key. Right. They all have to do this together. They have to sing in unison and whatnot. But that's, to me, at least, not actually the theme of the episode. Mm -hmm. Even though that's what Quentin kind of sees it as everyone has to sing right now together or the quest is over. We can't bring magic back hmm. even while Margot and Elliot are about to die and asking for help, yeah. you know, but in one of the lines of the song under pressure, it says love dares you to care for the people on the edge of the night. Mm-hmm. And so I think that more so than an idea of unity is a theme of the mission, even when a good cause, doesn't mean just sacrificing people along the way to achieve that mission or doesn't mean like turning away from those in need. I don't think it's exactly that in any case, a mission wouldn't be more important than individual people necessarily, but it's also, I think, saying that, no, these people are important 
and you shouldn't turn away from them just for the sake of the mission, Mm. uh, just to push forward. And in so doing, kind of dehumanizing people in a way. They're Mm. not important. Toss them aside. Because I think we've seen along the way in this show that people are so preoccupied with the mission, whether it's to destroy Martin Chatwin and not care about Julia and Reynard and Mm -hmm. what's going on there, or it's saving Fillory. All of this stuff is happening. We need to destroy Ember. It doesn't matter that Penny doesn't have access to magic and, and the things that he'll do to try to get access to magic because nobody's helping him. It doesn't matter in this season because we're trying to restore magic that Katie's left in a psychiatric hospital being sedated or on a very lesser scale, nobody responds to Josh. Yeah. You know, he just doesn't matter. He's expendable because he's not a part of the mission in the way that is prioritized. Mm -hmm. And I think Julia here is one of the few people who isn't treating the mission to return magic as the most important thing She's the only one who replied to Josh. Yeah. <laughs> and also, she's seeing these people, even if problematically done so, enslaved. And she's not okay with that. And she changes everything that she had been doing to try to help in some way. Totally. And then I think it's also evidenced in the Muntjack and how the Muntjack is treated here. Because, mm-hmm. like you were mentioning, Tick Pickwick has... This goal, which is to free Valorians from these children of Earth and let Fillory be of, for, and by Fillorians. And so even though that mission could be seen as good, maybe not the killing the people (laughs) who had been in charge, but in the process of that, he dehumanizes the Munjack. He mm-hmm. treats the Munjack like a tool, saying, I'm your king, I order you to stop right now. Saying to scuttle, which is deliberately sink. All sh- kill, basically. Exactly, all ships that can think. So like, this is his reaction, that if this being doesn't serve him, then it's expendable and should be stopped because it can negatively impact him, right? Mm-hmm. And Margot didn't treat the Munjack that way. When she had the opportunity to be mission-oriented and <laughs> save all of their lives and let the Munjack essentially be raped by this other ship, she said, no, I'm not going to do that, and wanted to know what the Munjack wanted to do. And even in this scenario, she asked the Munjack to help them. Yeah. She didn't say... I helped you, you should help me in return. You know, she wasn't trying to guilt or pressure or makes this about some obligation. No, she had treated the Munjack with respect and as a person. And after they don't plummet to their deaths, she says, oh, you know, is the Munjack a Bowie fan? Mm-hmm. And Elliot says, no. She's a Margot fan. And I think that, yeah, kind of drives home this idea that if you're just focusing on the mission, that's the only thing that's important. You're going to leave all of these people behind that you should still care about. Yeah. 
and you'll use them as tools. You'll use them to save magic, but if Margot and Elliot are died there and just using their voices so that you can get out of this party world, you know? Like mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's a it's a, it's a serious thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's a, a a really fascinating tension, particularly in this season, where they're so explicitly on a quest. You know, mm-hmm. like it is the tale of the seven keys, the quest of the seven keys. Like they have this quest they need to go on that's literally given to them by a questing animal. You know, like <laughs> mm-hmm. it's it's something that I think is much more explicit. And so for the tension between being on a quest and then treating people as people while you're on it and what you give priorities to, I think is very interesting, particularly when we also think about Quentin's discussion with Poppy about the quest is supposed to change you. The quest is mm-hmm. supposed to alter you. you and know. her saying, how do you know this isn't my quest too? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that's, that's very fascinating. Mm. Yeah. And I think right on the heels of the sacrifice of Victoria and Harriet. Yeah. They and their lives weren't as important as, well, particularly Victoria's life wasn't as important and Penny's life as yeah. getting that other key. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it kind of leads a little bit potentially to what Tick Pickwick said about Children of Earth. You always think you have the right to rule. And then Elliot asking Margot what really gave us the right to do everything that we've done in Fillory, to be king and queen of Fillory. And so I think it's kind of leading into those questions of why does Julia have this extra magic? Yeah. Is Margot and Elliot being rulers here earned in any way? Which, yeah, we'll we'll continue to see. Yeah, absolutely. What about you? Well, for me, the, the kind of biggest thematic thing that I wanted to talk about was the musical. You know, people have talked about how in musicals, the songs happen when there is such emotion or feeling or plot relevance that it gets communicated in a way that breaks through just regular communication. Mm-hmm. That it has to be expressed in this much more outstanding kind of way. And so I was really paying attention to what the music that's used in this episode is expressing from these characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's it's particularly interesting because this show, as it is wont to do, has that meta level where in most musicals, the characters don't recognize that they are in a musical. (laughs) The music happens as a representation of what they're going through, what they're experiencing, but they're not afterwards being like, that was a great song. You know, (laughs) like they didn't experience it in their perspective as a song. Here, all of our main characters know that this is a musical. You know, they <laughs> yeah. know that this is happening. And so they, yeah, are are also making choices about music itself in ways that you don't necessarily in a musical, which I think is interesting. But yeah, just kind of uh, as we were going through, I, I was, you know, looking at, okay, so what's the song communicating? And the first song we get is Josh singing his song about basically how he's the party kink. And it's one of those like let's party songs, which are a great genre of song. Um, And as he's going, we see him being respected, worshipped even as the king of this area and confident and saying things about how he's bringing the party and how he is, you know, the center of this world essentially. And it really helps drive home 
why for the rest of the episode almost Josh is so happy there and he doesn't want to leave. Yeah. Because when his insecurity was being treated like he doesn't matter, like he's nothing, here he's treated like he's everything. Mm-hmm. And in so doing, the world is also full of all the fun party things that he loves. Because that is one of the great things about his character that we've seen so far, is that he's a fun party character. <laughs> you know, he's the one who gets them into Box's party. You know, like, yeah. I think that this is a really cool element of that. The next big musical number we get is Katie's burlesque song and dance. Mm-hmm. And here, I think it's interesting because the purpose of the song is to be a distraction. And... I think that that goes alongside the burlesque aspect of the song. That it is, it's not just a distraction. Like, she could have distracted them with any song. Mm -hmm. But here, she is putting on a art form that is utilizing her sexuality. And, of course, that always comes in with a level of objectification. Mm -hmm. And so, in the same way that sex workers, you know, whether they're dancers or what have you, they are, you know, giving the audience they want for payment, you know, hopefully to themselves, but possibly to, you know, whoever's exploiting them. Here, she is doing the same kind of transactional trade, where she is giving them what they want in exchange for their attention, because she doesn't want that attention to go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. And so I found, yeah, that choice of a burlesque song interesting. Mm -hmm. And then we get Josh's hustle songs when he's trying to distract them. Yeah. Where he comes out and he, you know, sings a couple songs, the second of which is At the Car Wash, which (laughs) I found particularly interesting because we see Josh, as he's singing these songs, less enthused, less Mm -hmm. genuine. He is not singing it with the same confidence, the same happiness verber that he had with his original song. Here, he knows what's up. He's seen through the facade. He recognizes the insincerity of this place. How even though he could play it being king, it didn't have much meaning. Mm -hmm. And for me, at least, the choice of car wash was in line with that because it's such a meaningless song. (laughs) Yeah, I, I don't really know it. It's like, it's familiar, but I've never read the lyrics. I don't really know what they're saying. Totally. Because they're Just not saying anything. Just working at the car wash, you know? <laughs> okay, that's Give it to it. me, baby, yeah. Like, there's, it's just, it doesn't mean anything from, you know, and maybe there is some, some history behind it that I don't know, and I'm sure it would be fascinating <laughs> if there is. So please, if you know that, let, reach out. Maybe I should Wikipedia it beforehand, but whatever. <laughs> For me, I, I saw this as a reading of like, okay, we're going to take this classic song, this earworm that you've heard a million times, and in the same way that this world has kind of lost meaning for Josh, we were going to have him sing a song that doesn't have particular meaning to him. Mm. So I thought that was that was interesting, too. Yeah. And then we get to Under Pressure. For the listeners out there, Under Pressure is one of my favorite songs <laughs> of all time. There are a few things in this world that I love as much as I love Under Pressure. <laughs> I think it's such an amazing piece. I love everything about it. He loves the absurd. I love the absurd. I love a crescendo. (laughs) And like growing up, you know, I listened to like classic rock almost exclusively. Mm. And so this was something that was not only in my wheelhouse of what I listened to generally, but like a song that I really loved. And Ridiculous Heart. Like so into the song, even though it's so so ridiculous. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) 
you know? And I think one of the great reasons that they choose this song is not only for the fun ridiculousness of it, but, like, for a song about unity, the song is great. Not only for some of the lyrics which we'll get into, but, like, I think this is one of the greatest duets of all time. <laughs> because they talk a lot about Bowie in this show, and Bowie is amazing. He's got this amazing, deep, resonant voice. Uh, I love his songwriting. You know, Bowie, Bowie's a, a master. But there's also Freddie Mercury in Queen. <laughs> and Freddie Mercury has one of the best voices in the world. You know, on the opposite side of the spectrum, he, he's known for going so high. And both of them obviously have a great range, but having those two things, not in contrast, but in concert with one another, is just so amazing. It's great. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think that having this song be the one that they sing together is just so delightful. Queen was one of my favorite bands growing up. And so even though I knew Bowie less, knowing, like, having one of my favorite bands then sing with this other amazing singer, like, again, for this amazing, ridiculous song, is just, yeah, this is, it's it's a top five-star amazing song for me. I but, think you really need to express that more, because I wasn't getting that from everything you were just well, saying. Well, I think, actually, we need to move on. Um <laughs> Because I did want to talk a little bit about some of the lyrics and how it connects to mm. the themes of the episode and, and these characters' experiences, right? Because the beginning of this song is all about how people are under pressure. People are feeling pressure in society, in their lives, that things are difficult for people, right? It talks about people on the edge of the night. It talks about people who uh, don't have a chance. And as Quentin says, they're all fucked in their own ways you know, on this journey uh, mm. after Elliot says they're about to die, <laughs> you know? And so like, yeah, they are all under pressure in different ways. One of the other lyrics in the chorus is that pressure splits a family in two. Mm. And for them as a family, like they are being split in some ways, you know, not only are they split apart, Josh felt split apart from them as well, but you know, we see conflict between Alice and Quentin. We see... Elliot and Margot on a completely different world going to their deaths, you know, not even having other people know about it. We see Penny in the underworld, you know, all these things I think are showing those splits. But then as the song grows, it stops being just about being under pressure and the dif difficulties of pressure, but it creates this hopeful message of, so what do we need to do? We need to give ourselves and give love one more chance. Mm -hmm. That even when we are under pressure, what we need to focus on is love, love for the people around you, love for the people on the edge and love for our family and love for ourselves, right? To change our way of caring about ourselves is a part of this song. Then it says, this is our Something last... Something Quentin really needs to do. Exactly, right? And then at the end, the song starts and saying... Penny. I know. Always throwing his life at problems. Well, that I think is is also really important, even though I don't think it's it's necessarily front loaded in the song. It's definitely something I took because they start singing. Not only is this their last chance, this is our last dance. And mm -hmm. for me, when I heard that, I was like, oh, this is the last time they're all going to be together mm -hmm. because Penny's in the underworld. Yeah. And. So this unity that brings them together for this song is the family's last dance altogether. Yeah. I think that having it be this communal activity of singing together is 
really fun, but also really beautiful. And so, yeah, I could just imagine, you know, the producer wanting the rights to the song because he thinks it's a great song. And wanting, <laughs> but also, like, I think it does fit in thematically with the musical genre, with what they're going through. And, you know, uh, I just, I love it so much. <laughs> it's really good. Favorite episode? Yeah, I mean, it's up there. <laughs> for yeah. sure. Yeah. And now I'm going to have that song stuck in my head for the next couple of weeks, which is not a bad thing. <laughs> it might be for you, because I can't hit those highs. <laughs> yeah. But I'll still try. <laughs> Should we hang you upside down, see if you can do it? Yeah, I bet it'll help. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a, a little bit ago, I had done a little poll on Instagram about what's your favorite thing in this season. Unsurprisingly, Under Pressure uh, one. I think I voted for it. Yeah. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. It, it was hard for you because Be the Penny was also an option. I mean, and I also enjoy that, but, yeah, but under pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here you can have Penny sing under pressure. Exactly. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. Well, it's not a, a queen podcast. <laughs> um, so, yeah, let's let's go into our from another point of view section. Who did you bring to discuss? Yeah, so I was thinking about Katie hmm. a lot in this episode because when they first get in at the very opening of, of the episode, when they first get in the physical kids cottage, the automatic thing that she does is find the truth key to see if Penny's there yeah. too, if, if he made it out. He's not there and she's picking it up and she's holding it even though it's making her feel so ill mm -hmm. and nobody else is really caring about that. <laughs> it's why were you in the library? I mean, I would also want to know why uh, Alice was in the library, how she got there, how she left all of that information. Yeah. But then they're whisked away to this next section of the, of the quest and all of that. But she cares about Penny. She wants to know what happened to him. And just not being able to find out would be so difficult. And that's right after one of her acquaintances, at the very least, if not sort of friend, died. Yeah. Harriet. And Harriet was somebody that she went to for resources. Someone that she trusted. Someone who helped her mm -hmm. many times with Penny. And someone who cared about people like Katie and her mother hedges and getting them access to magic, which hardly anyone else in the show really cares about, you know? And, and so her having to go into musical numbers in that place, I think would be really difficult. And you see her frustration at everyone around her. Yeah. And yet, she's the one who has the knowledge about music that can help them even get to that pocket world. Mm -hmm. I just find it really interesting that even though she doesn't really consider herself one of them, she and Penny weren't one of this group. They have very different experiences and they are treated very differently in the group than the rest of them and just don't have as strong affection or bonds and yeah people 
haven't really cared about helping them very much, so they have to help each other. Yet, she doesn't have trouble sharing some things about herself. Mm-hmm. Like, explaining that her mom was a stripper. And she's like, save your judgment. She liked it. And it paid for piano lessons. Like, So even though she says she liked it, and maybe she did, but she was still in the position to need to do this sort of work to be able to pay for things for her kid, yeah. you know? And still a single mom, still Katie growing up in a situation where she needed to learn battle magic. Mm-hmm. And seeing that that's the go-to spell she tries to cast when they're in this party world, yet not allowing other people to judge her mom or feel pity on her. And yet, at the same time, (laughs) once she's in that party world, she has to engage in something she doesn't really want to do with, as you were talking about, this burlesque song and show to distract people. And she knows how to do it because she grew up around it. Mm -hmm. Yet, as soon as she goes behind that screen, she's rolling her eyes at the situation. Like, she doesn't want to be here. She doesn't want to be doing this. This is not important to her. It's just a way to try to get back and to try to find out where Penny is. So she'll do it and she'll do it well, (laughs) but it's a facade. Yeah. And... um, I love also the the not Todd being like, we like it in E mm. and her clearly being so annoyed at that, yep. but being like, okay, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. Like it is again. So such a, a good way of framing this as like those issues with stripping and, and things like that, where it's you know, the entitlement of the people who are consuming it exactly is toxic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And so, yeah, I just, I I find it an interesting place for her to be able to be honest, to be her, to be showing so much skin, her to be emulating things that her mother did in front of people who she doesn't feel that close to, Mm -hmm. but also her not feeling any shame about it and her just going to do what she chooses to do and being confident in it, even if annoyed totally yeah, it's just it's it's just a very interesting place for her i i find it an interesting it's just a, it's an interesting way to showcase parts of her character mm-hmm. and and the ways that her character is different than a lot of the others totally and then we get to the point where they're all singing together and the moment that she well tells penny okay you have to sing too like mm-hmm. penny where are you well at first the the elation at finally hearing Penny and finding out what happened yeah. to him. But then when he starts singing and just the, the little smile she gives in the midst, it's like, it's just so cute because that is how you feel. It's like if, if you love someone so much and then you hear them sing for the first time, come on, Penny has not sung in front of her right. before. <laughs> you know, like it would just be 
such a like sweet, cute, exciting thing for her to experience for the first time. She can't see him, but she can hear him. And oh, Penny's voice. He has such like a nice voice. And I'm like, oh, Penny, sing more. But of course, Penny doesn't want to sing more. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I just thought it was like such a sweet little moment for them. But at the same time, the lyrics that they were singing is like, keep coming up with love, but it's so slashed and torn because they're they're cursed, yeah. as, as yeah. he said. Oh. And I was just like, ah, oh. and then with, yeah, like what you were talking about, this is their last dance. Yeah. And her trying, even once the song is done, asking if Penny's still there and that connection between all of them, that unity, it's gone. Yeah. And her being left with that. Yeah, that that's how the episode ends for her. Mm-hmm. So it's very tragic. It's very them. But it was also very sweet. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. I, I loved Katie in this episode. I was also thinking a lot about how she, yeah, she reveals a bit about her past and, and maybe this was a setting in society thing, but, but I think that it's also cool to see how music and dance is seen as a priority, as, as an important thing, even for people in poverty, mm. because this is something that has been accessible to all people everywhere. It's not like a lot of other forms of entertainment that have a form of kind of elite access, you know, not. I mean, it does have that, but it there are it doesn't there are elements of that. that exactly. But mm-hmm. there are forms of music and dance that are available to anyone, mm-hmm. and I think that uh, having her as a character who has that knowledge um, and experience is just a cool way of representing that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Agreed. So what about you? Whose perspective were you thinking about? I want to talk about Quentin. Yeah, I've just been following him a lot more this season, particularly after the depression episode. Mm -hmm. And I really like that that has been a through line in his performance and in his writing, that he continues to be heavily impacted by his experience there. Mm -hmm. And that... He was so excited about the ideas of the quest in the first few episodes, even as he was dealing with losing magic and dealing with his own, you know, personal issues, interpersonal issues. He also was able to go on a ship. He also, you know, built this new relationship with Elliot that he was exploring. You know, like there, there's, I think, more of a excitement in him in the first few episodes of the season. And I appreciate that he, his attitude has visibly changed to see that and his behavior has changed. You mentioned earlier how he tells Katie to be careful with the key Mm -hmm. uh, and not to touch it directly because yeah, he has experienced some of the worst that these keys can do to you and he doesn't want that for anyone else. And so he's not particularly close with Katie uh, you <laughs> <No>. know, <laughs> two of the people who are maybe the least close. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like they haven't really had any adventures together. No, maybe Katie and Margo, the least. That's close. true. That's true. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that the fact that that's still his immediate 
reaction to, to seeing her try to take the truth key and try to, to do other kinds of things is uh, admirable and, and highlights his experiences and, yeah, his care for other people and the fact that he doesn't want other people to suffer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that was kind of going back to the theme I was talking about with not just putting the mission above all of the people that you're interacting on the way. Mm -hmm. Like, I think in that depression episode, he really did that. Totally. It wasn't just about, well, I'm the only person who can complete this mission. It's my mission. So if someone else has a difficult time with depression, as long as I have the key in the end, you know, it's better for me to survive or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever the situation was, he was willing to have himself tied up to the mast of the ship. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I also really appreciated how when they realize that they have access to magic again, Alice and Katie both make some interesting smoke designs. Mm -hmm. He makes a ship out of the smoke. The camera follows that ship for a while as it kind of sails through the air You know, I just thought so much about how that ship probably represents a lot for Quentin. You know, it's tied to why he was so excited at the beginning of his voyage on the Munchak. I think a ship represents adventure in the classical way that he loves. It represents a kind of freedom that when you're on a ship can go in any direction in the sea. Uh, You don't have, you know, you're not as hampered by physical characteristics and geographies. I think mm-hmm. that that was really representative of Quentin's mindset and what he feels he's missing. Not only is he missing magic, but he's missing that same sense of adventure and freedom that he had felt in the past. Mm-hmm. Because here, yeah, he's doing this quest with Josh, who he's avoided or ignored for a couple of weeks. Alice, who he's upset with, and Katie, who, again, he doesn't have a particularly good relationship with. And so, yeah, it's just such a different kind of experience for him. But I also appreciate that Quentin is someone who is readily able to say that he's been a dick to Josh. (laughs) You know, he like, he's still saying like, but we need to solve this. Like, yes, we've been a dick, but he is also saying like, it was messed up of us to do this. That I think probably comes from Quentin's own experiences of loneliness and feeling like you're nothing or you're worthless or you don't matter or that you might only matter in negative ways, right? Which Josh communicates in some ways here. Yeah, it's interesting. You would think in a way that Quentin would have more sympathy Mm -hmm. (laughs) towards Josh because he's probably felt similarly in his life, but he doesn't really, and and maybe that's because of the, you know, the mission being so important to him. Yeah, yeah. And I think that the contrast between them is really interesting. Quentin's loneliness that we get introduced to in the first episode where he's talking to people at a party and none of them are connecting with him. So Mm -hmm. he goes into his room to be alone. Like, he's more of a misanthrope. He's more of someone who, like, is just too damaged and weird to connect with people. Whereas Josh is very social. He Mm -hmm. is very likable. But he sees people 
as thinking like he's nothing or he doesn't matter. And mm-hmm. it's almost like because he is too frivolous, he's too much of a partier, people don't take him seriously, mm-hmm. uh, or he's just not important enough to people. And so I think that seeing those two lonelinesses side by side is is interesting. I certainly know that when I was in college, I felt very, very lonely at times um, when I was really unable to connect with people. And one of the few kind of friends that I had at the time was like, just like crushing on this one girl who he was so sad that he, that she wasn't interested in him. And I would get annoyed sometimes because it's all like, you are conventionally attractive. You have other girls who are interested in you. You have other people who like enjoy spending time with you. You, your roommates with your friends, like your loneliness is despite the community that you have here and I have a loneliness that's a failure to find community mm-hmm. and like it just felt so different and I was definitely not a great friend in that I <laughs> put my own kind of frustrations on that sometimes but yeah it just it, it kind of reminds me of that contrast here too mm-hmm. and so yeah at the end of the episode I found it interesting as well that Quentin is the one who's saying like we need to be unified we need to do this thing together and then the episode ends with them getting back and him taking the book from Alice. She's like, really? And he's just like, yeah. Like, he doesn't say anything, but he just kind of gives her a look that's like, this is how it is. I don't don't trust trust you. you. Exactly. And I think that that's really interesting that he can push for that unity and, and I think actually feel it, but also outside of the magic of the spell, maintain that distrust for Alice. Mm -hmm. And... I think he still obviously loves Alice, but that mistrust, I think, is is maybe even harder for him because of it. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we go back and review the title of this episode? What do you think about All That Josh? I love it. You know, all that jazz. Like, it's great. <laughs> it's wonderful. Yeah, I think that it's it's perfect for the first musical episode like you mentioned before we've had a song in an episode in the past but this episode is a musical in a new way and highlighting that i think is is great and it also highlights the way that that dimension is structured where he's the focus of it everything there is josh exactly so yeah i think that it's it's great and, and it doesn't give away the under pressure, you know, for right. it's not like, oh, that's what it's called. And then you know that they're going to sing that song. It tells you exactly what this episode is. It's a musical episode mm-hmm. and it's about Josh, but it leaves the surprises for the, what music will actually be featured. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's great. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that will wrap up this week's discussion. Unless you just want me to go into my rendition of Under Pressure for no, our audience. That's okay. Okay. That's okay. I, we, we don't have the license. That's thing. true. That's, that's, that's true. That's the only That's reason. the main reason, of course. Yeah. Okay. Then what's happening next time on The Magicians? So we are going to be on Season 3, Episode 10, The Art of the Deal, where Penny steals something from a mourning dead person. Okay, well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we hope that you'll join us on Patreon so that you can join us for our monthly meetups. Yeah! We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find our designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek, geek out! out.